When you envision the ideal experience for your brewery guests, point of sale probably isn't at the top of your list. It's the transactional finality to their visit. What you need is a point of service. Arrived is the first mobile, flexible, customizable point of service system built for craft breweries. It adapts and grows with you on-premise and online. Your staff will love the simplicity, your managers will love the world-class support team, and your guests will love that they can get the same delicious beer with the same amazing service from anywhere. Fall in love with your point of sale. Fall in love with Arrived. This is Andy Crouch, and welcome to the Beer Edge Podcast. Welcome back to the Beer Edge Podcast. In last week's episode, we talked with Joey Redner, founder of Cigar City Brewing, about his origin story, what got him into beer, and the state of the beer scene in Florida when he started his brewery. If you haven't listened to that episode, I'd recommend pausing this one and going back and giving it a listen. In part two of the interview this week, we explore how Redner started to think about Cigar City's future and what gave him second thoughts about navigating it alone. We go into detail about his thought process leading up to the sale of his brewery, his interactions with Anheuser-Busch, and why that deal didn't go through, and why going deeper into debt scared him. Redner tells us about how the brewery eventually got so big that it grew beyond both his talents and his interests. He always envisioned running a small, innovative brewery, and Cigar City was no longer a tiny operation. We also talk about Redner's thoughts on the evolution of the American craft beer industry, how it has changed and changed him, his love of classic beer styles, and how he hopes that Dunkel becomes the next rage. It bears repeating that this interview was recorded about a year ago, long before the pandemic, but it remains a pretty compelling listen. Here's the second half of our conversation with Joey Redner. At some point, do you, and you've talked in plenty of interviews in the past about being relatively risk averse or and debt, or, you know, and debt averse, uh, and that is just your sort of your personal economic philosophy. And when you start talking about just the numbers, the pure numbers of debt uh, that you have to get into in this capital industry, at what point do you say, okay, I need, I need an out, I need a partner, I need to come up with a new solution because we just can't keep growing at X rate. Uh, and because possibly, as we're seeing right now, there may be a slowdown at some point, and I don't want to be left, you know, holding the chair, you know, with no chair when the music stops. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, no one really believed me, but I, I was the canary in the coal mine. I was like, and I had a brewery that that really has been um, the exception to the rule. We have been able to continue to grow, um, and I, you know, I I can't quantify exactly why, but. But I, but I never felt like I had that. I, I felt like, man, it has to come. You can't, it's a, it's, it's a new category. Um, it, it's, it's a relatively like, you know, uh, gobsmacker of, of, of a beer style. It just can't keep growing like that. Now, when I say that, I mean, oh, we're always going to have exceptions. There's always going to be some growth. In the in the in the greater slowdown, there's always going to be still someone doing just fine, uh, and vice versa. You know, it, it, there's there's always going to be someone doing bad when everyone's doing great. Um, you know, and I've seen that. I've seen you know breweries around here taking off. Everyone's doing gangbusters, but oh shoot, that guy over there is he's not doing well. 
there's always going to be those exceptions. And I just, I knew it was coming. I knew, uh, I knew there was a slowdown coming. I didn't know when, and I didn't know to the degree and what, but I was just like, it's just natural that you would see that. And we haven't seen it. Um, there's just, you can't have that growth always and forever. It's just not, that is, that, 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 you know, that violates the laws of physics. <laughs> it's not going to happen up, 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 up forever. Um, so it was about the time we finished, you know, the other brewery and I'm, you know, and I'm realizing that we, we don't ha we're not going to have enough beer for the growth arc that we're seeing. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I never knew like what the solution would be, but I, you know, and I, I am debt averse, but I'm not, you know, no debt ever. I, I at least not in a, in a business. Um, but I would prefer if you can cash flow it, you always do that first. Um, for me, the debt is how big is the hole? How big is my shovel? I've got to fill that hole back in. I was already had a little hole, but I had a very good shovel. I was had no issue with the debt I had, but then I start looking, okay, well, th this is a massive hole and my shovel is not going to be much bigger. And I'm not going to be able to use the shovel until the new brewery comes online. So that's when I started saying, yeah, you know, it, if I could partner with a brewery that already has some capacity, um, It'd be a godsend to them because here's my growth um, and it wouldn't. And then if I'm still involved, and I still have ownership. It's not going to kill them because I've got, you know, I've got growth. And if they've got fallow capacity or reducing capacity or sort of reducing sales in that capacity, man, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I guess I've never, you know, because if this is a brewery my grandfather had opened or if I had kids that were 21, 22 that had showed interest in, you know, being in the business, I would probably think completely different about it. And I would just say, okay, well, we're not going to keep growing uh, or we are going to keep growing, but we'll just, you know, I'm, we'll finance it for the next generation. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't sell a brewery that my grandfather opened, just couldn't do it. Um, but because this was just something I did over a couple year period, I didn't have the emotional attachment to it that I think a lot of people feel like in my place they would. I never thought of Cigar City Brewing as like who I am. It's just a thing I did. And so, you know, if I if over the weekend I painted a picture and someone offered me 500 bucks for it, I wouldn't emotionally feel upset about that. And I kind of felt that way about the brewery. Um, you know, I, I would have preferred to 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 go into an arrangement where I could stay involved, which is luckily what I ended up having. I can still, I'm still sitting in Cigar City Brewing. I'm still an owner, albeit a much smaller percentage, but I'm on the board. I still get to make decisions. I still get to tinker if I want to. Um, so for me personally, my happiness, I'm extremely happy with how things turned out. And oh, by the way, we've been able to grow four times since then, which absolutely would not have happened if it, I'd have been left under my own power because I wouldn't, I, my, I would have been too averse to borrowing the kind of money I would have had to borrow. Um, you know, I don't want to be the successful guy who has $50 million in debt. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the successful guy who has a way, le way less money than that, but, but, uh, doesn't have the debt associated. So when do you, when do you start 
taking meetings because you you read trade papers, you read you know yeah. local Tampa Bay papers, and everyone's you know basically it's like they're camped out like paparazzi waiting for AB to show up. Where do you know you're probably taking rolling series of meetings over the years, but when do you get serious about it? And then you know, we'll talk. More well, you know, this is a different industry. We're much more open to talking, collaborating, and honestly, so if someone from a brewery says, "Hey, I'm going to be in the area. You want to meet?" They're not. They might not necessarily say, "Hey, I'm going to be in the in the area because I may want to make you a, a, a offer to buy your business or to buy a percentage." It's doesn't really go down like that so if someone emails me or texts me who's in the brewing industry and says they want to meet i'm like cool i'll be at the brewery you know come by and so you find out it was a a potential sales call buy call sort of afterward uh and it never bothered me like in this industry it would be weird i guess if you work for frito-lay and then like the other chip charles chip guy comes and says he wants to come by your factory and hang out you're like what you know there's espionage going on but in this industry you know if someone from uh, uh, you know even you know heineken hits you up and says they want to come hang out you you wouldn't bat an eye you're like yeah sure come by and we'll have beers um so it kind of came out that way like i realized Oh, that's why. But you don't, you know, I'm, you, you know, and and then if they want to keep talking, I'm happy to talk. You want to tell me what you think my business is worth? I love to hear it. Uh, it never. I always look at it as you take the meeting. It's it's it, you know, it, it, it's nothing until you've done something. You're just talking. Um, you know, I've talked about you know doing things with other breweries, but nothing comes of it. You know, that's just part of the process. And I've never, you know, I, it never seemed at all it never made me feel weird at all that uh, you know another brewery would want to come by and hang out and a lot of times that's exactly all it is they just want to come by and hang out you know i mean the the, the, the guy who runs moosehead would come by here with his staff and and have drinks he never asked me anything about oh, well how much to buy it it never happened he just hung out so um you know just it never it kind of it grows organically out of that and you don't you know you don't know at the time that they're kicking the tires but some of them actually are interested, and some of yeah. them are kicking the tires. And one in particular, you know, kicked the tires pretty thoroughly was was Anheuser Busch InBev. And so you know, we often hear, you know, that you know there are meetings or that there's you know letters of intent stuff like that. But how does that? How does you know we don't really hear about the process? Like how did that develop? How did that even happen? Um, you know, someone like AB, they're eventually they're going to be very blunt and say we're interested. You know, let's talk numbers. Um, if you're interested, let's do this. Um, there's some things I just, I can't say because of, you know, pieces of paper I signed. Um, all I can say is, you know, just, you know, like I knew kind of how my business could or couldn't go, there'd be a range. I knew if, you know, if Cigar City had partnered with Anheuser-Busch or to put it more bluntly, sold to Anheuser-Busch, there'd be a range of possibilities. And I don't like anything in that range. Um, but I was very interested in, in either a full or a partial or a, or a merger type sale. I was very interested in not just being just me signing the, the debt note. Um, or, um, and, and that's really the situation I was in because while I had a partner in my dad, he, you know, he was, he too old. He had just survived stage four lung cancer. No one was going to let him sign anything as far as, uh, as far as borrowing money. Um, so it was really just me that would have to be on the hook, uh, and by proxy, you know, my four children, um, all of that. So, um, when I started talking to people, when you have a partner, a partner has the right to say, okay, well, if you're interested in doing something, 
Um, I want to get highest and best value. So you got to talk to that person too. Uh, and, uh, and they might be able to try to paint you in a corner that way. So if they know you don't want to do something and they play the card of, well, you have to do that because you've got to get me X amount of money. Cause if I think I can get more and you didn't pursue it, then, you know, I, I have a claim for saying that you prevented me from getting highest, best value for my thing. And I told you I wanted to do this. Um, but if you take the meeting and then you come to a number uh, and then there's any parameters by which maybe another side let something lapse or they don't uh, they don't follow all of the rules of, of, of that courting courtship courting, <laughs> um, you're then able to go, OK, well, I have a number uh, for that other person that's involved in my business. So I've only got to get that person that number. And anyway, I structure things as it applies to my ownership that's my choice. I could take less if I want, as long as I get them what they need. And so, you know, in my particular situation, that's almost exactly how it went. And that was how it was reported, was that, you know, you had, had entered, you know, a letter of intent with, with ABI, and then a period for whatever reason had lapsed, you know, an exclusivity period where they were able to, to you know, basically put in a bid unencumbered by somebody else's bid. Um or, or at least that's how it was reported. And then that lapsed. And then what happens when, you know, towards the end of that, that letter of intent period, what, how are you feeling? Like, what do you, what is your, what is your reaction to, you know, obviously it's one thing to be courted, but it's another thing to actually, you know, go through with the marriage. So, so uh, I'm, let me try to put it through. Yes, that's how it's reported. Uh, as far as how I was feeling at the time, um, you know, I, I felt painted into a corner, uh, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to have my future held hostage uh, because I felt really very adamant that things were going to get harder. Um, and I was already starting to see it, um, but I was starting to see it sort of in the, the large regional breweries. You know, I, I mean, I saw the breweries I was kicking off out of shelf space. You know, I mean, my brand is kicking off legacy beer, beers from breweries that I, lo- I loved and respected. Um, and I, you know, I was still doing it, so clearly I wasn't that conflicted, but there were beers that had been in Florida for a decade that I was kicking. They couldn't get shelf space because of me and because of other breweries that were opening. So I knew, well, you know, that's got to happen to you too, right? You know, I mean, you know, if someone opens up a brewery in Tallahassee, I'm not local. I'm four, I'm a four-hour drive away. I'm not the local beer. I'm a, I'm a carpetbagger from Tampa. So, you know, I knew, even though it wasn't happening yet, I knew it was certainly within the realm of possibility that it would happen. Um, so from my point of view, you know, I had built something that had cash demands that were greater than my comfort level and had value way above and beyond anything I'd ever thought that I could do. So I knew there was a way that I could sell something that had appreciated massively over, over what I put into it um, and also secure it for the future so that it, it wouldn't, it would have the resources it needed to continue to grow, but also to fight for, you know, what it would need to keep there because, you know, the, the, the first breweries to get kicked out are the ones that don't have local reps, you know, and I couldn't afford to do that. I also didn't have the skill set. I hadn't managed a team of 50 salespeople. Um, and when you start, you know, when you start force projecting, sending beer out of state and the farther you get away from home, the more money you have to spend to do it, the harder it is to do it. Um, and then, you know, the, the challenge of quality and consistency become vastly more difficult. It's much better 
you know, I can get you a good tasting beer so much easily if it's a hundred miles away than if it's a thousand miles away. Um, and I think we all know that. Um, e- even if we don't know beer and brewing, we know it intuitively. Um, you know, something that sits on a truck is not going to be probably as good as fresh, right? Um, so I knew all of these things are in the back of my head and I wasn't going to be painting in the corner. I was going to do what I knew what, what I felt was almost certainly right. Um, and if I had to do it, what I thought was the least good way, that's still better than what I thought was the alternative. But I also knew, um, that there were ways that I could maybe make it go my way if, if, you know, if someone shuffled their feet there, someone signed that late. Like I knew, I knew I had angles I could play, and but I couldn't do any of those things until, until I knew, until I knew a, a certain level of information. It's difficult for me to address some things directly, um, but, but I think you can, I think you can get the gist. Once I, once I knew the parameters of one thing, I was free to go pursue, you know, anything I needed to. And that pursuit led you to ending up with a deal with Fireman and with well, Oscar. I specifically that pursuit, but you know, yeah, I, I I ended up with I ended up with, with Fireman Capital mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And so, how does how does that deal come to be? How do you end up? Um, your, so know? I, you know, I, I I I'd always respected Dale in the industry. I mean, he's. He, he kind of sits like just behind, just, you know, chronologically just after like the true old guard breweries, but way, way more track record than, than, you know, my wave of breweries. You know, he started in the nineties. Um, and I, I'd always kind of liked their approach, even though I may not have taken the exact same approach. I loved how they did it for them. Um, and, and so I'd always respected them. And, you know, we followed a lot of the same, you know, kind of, um, well, internally, sort of, uh, you know, the, the canning. Like, I, I always loved that. I, I was like, you know, my flagship beer is a freaking IPA. Cans, the ideal package for that. Let's keep all the light out. Just take that off the table. Um, so I love that they did that, and I love that they never, um, you know, they never wavered from that. You know, even, you know, there's some styles where I would rather than be in a bottle. I know you're going to age that. You should definitely put that in a bottle um but they just were like hey we're doing this we love this we're going all the way and i always liked that um and i always liked just their sort of under the radar um well let's just do it and talk about it later kind of mentality i mean you know i i read press release after press release after press release of brewery you know brewery a is opening a brewery here and brewery b is building a brewery there and blah, blah, blah. and then meanwhile oscar blues is like yeah well we built a brewery there uh like a year ago when we're making beer, we're just doing it. Uh, that, that really fit with how my, my kind of way of doing things are. It's like, just do it. And with, uh, without kind of telling anybody, yeah. they just sort of, um, so I, you know, I liked him and I, I'd met and it was a good vibe. Um, you know, I, I knew that anything I did meant I no longer have control, but it's like, I still, I still have some ownership of, if, if I'd have sold to a lot of other people, I don't have a board seat. Uh, and if I want to have ownership, I got to go buy the stock on the, you know, on the publicly traded market to say I'm an owner and that's a cop out. You know, I'm an owner the same way anyone else with a couple bucks is an owner. Um, but this way I can truly be a significant owner. And, um, while I don't own it all, you got a board seat. They got to listen to you. I mean, if you just want to sit there and talk about how your bunions are hurting your feet, they've got to listen to that. So you, you have a voice in the room. Um, I, you know, if I would have sold to, you know, you know, a Heineken, they're not giving me a board seat. It's just not freaking happening. 
Um, can I control where it goes from here? Absolutely not. But can I control here? Eh, not truly. But they, they got to listen to me. And if I can prove my case, they work. They have to work with me. They have to see what I did. Um, and that just, you know, that felt more right to me. So... So where does that where does that leave you? Where what is your role here now? Uh, it, it leaves me exactly where I want to be. Um, I you know as this became a really large enterprise, I just got less interested. I would rather you know I, honestly, I'd rather go work the packaging line or wash kegs uh, than meet with distributors and talk about go to market plans and and you know marketing dollar spends. And I, I just you know I'd rather. I'd rather get lost in thought, you know, cleaning kegs than be thoughtful about how we're going to sell more at, you know, a huge box store. Um, it's just, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's my nature. Um, so I'm in a place now where I can, you know, I can pick and choose. Um, I have just the amount of input I want. Um, and there's people that are a lot better suited for what this brewery is now um, making the decisions that like, quite frankly, I wouldn't make the right ones. Um, so it's better for the brewery uh, because there's better people than me uh, making the decisions that I, I like I said, I, I think I'd mess up a lot of them. At some point did it just sort of when you were either taking the meetings or, or thinking about it, was this just not as much fun as it was? You know, did it feel much more like work? Yeah, it got less fun. I mean, I was always, I think, I always had this rule, like we had to keep 10% of our, um, of our capacity unplanned. Uh, cause that was really important to me. Like if you get a wild hair up your butt, I don't want to go say, Hey, we should try this. And someone say, all right, well, we can try it nine months. You know, when the, when the cal- when the, you know, brew calendar resets, like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably sober up and realize that wasn't a good idea in nine months. <laughs> so I think, even, yeah, there were times, like, it did, it got not fun and not, you know, it became a real business, um, but, and a lot of what I enjoyed about it went away, but there was always something going on here that was still interesting, but anytime you get more people, more complexity, um, you know, more committee meetings that a thing has to go through before it happens, like, the people running the brewery as it gets big, they need that, like, you can't be springing shit on them. Um, but I really missed that. I missed being able to spring shit on him. <laughs> Arrived all the way. It's a system built by people who worked in the industry and they regularly check in with their clients for not only support, but ways they can potentially grow or help you pivot and readjust as needed. I've worked with all the major systems out there, and I would never pick another service, says Katie Neerling, the GM of Scott Brewstillery, about Arrived. So... We are operating now in a time, not just in Florida, but around the country, where things have changed a lot. We are not the 1,500 breweries or so that may have been operating at that time or 2,000 breweries. You have 8,000 with a couple thousand more in planning. Are, you know, what do you, what do you, how do you forecast out? Do you look at that and say that that is something that there's a bubble, that that's untenable? Do you start to think your, 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 your slowdown in growth you know, predictions are, are coming true. You know, do you have any regrets about your decisions, like to this point, to, to sort of, you know, cash out to some extent while leaving some on the table? Um, no, I don't. I honestly don't have any regrets. I mean, it's funny because, you know, once you monetize the thing you built, I mean, I, I reinvested more in, in Cigar City and Canarchy 
by a massive factor than I ever had in it. You know, they're like, oh, here's your money, and you're going to put that back in to invest when you're growing. But, like, that number was massively more than anything I ever had in it to begin with. Um, so, you know, ironically, I have way more invested in Cigar City Brewing than I ever did before I sold it. Um, but on the other side, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have to worry that I'm sitting here holding a piece of paper that says I owe $30 million, $50 million. And, you know, if it, if it really, if that goes bankrupt, well, now I've got to, you know, I've got to sell it, you know, at a loss, depressed, you know, it's a distressed asset because the market turned and I didn't see it and I didn't plan for it right. And no, not, you know, by the way, my kids, you know, have nothing, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm going to have to, Hell, I don't know what I don't know what you do you know, in that in that situation. I don't ever want to know. Um, so I'm 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 pretty freaking happy with how it's worked out for me because I get to, you know, and also, even if I had borrowed the money, I still wouldn't I wouldn't have borrowed the the requisite knowledge that it takes to run a brewery that distributes to forty states. Um, that was st- that that was a huge. Like, you know, mountain out in the horizon. Um, we never had to push Cigar City Brewing. It, it was a pool brand. We were lucky there. Um, and But we, because we never had to exercise that muscle, it was not strong. Um, and, and that was coming. You know, it gets harder. It gets harder to sell things. I think, you know, you kind of speak to the other half of your question. What's happening in the market is it's sort of people, it's just sort of, the stratification is setting in like people are going to stay in their lane. If you have a tasting room, you know, and you may have had d- dreams or visions about sending some beer out. You may just say, ah, well, we're going to focus on, we're going to do this. You know, maybe we'll do a mobile canner and we'll send a little bit out here and there, but we're not going to invest our own packaging. Um, we're going to kind of stay here because this is profitable and the risk level is right. Um, you know, it, it is a bad time to be a small semi-regional craft brewery that primarily distributes like i the, i feel for anyone who, who that's their business model um because they're in a tough place and those are the guys that we're seeing that are going belly up because you know the, the small guy who basically is a borrow makes his own product um he can survive he can take a lot of punches because well he can avoid a lot of punches because he's small and he's nimble he's not you know and then the bigger guys they can take a lot of punches because they have the resources but those smaller guys that really were you know, about my size or a little smaller, um, they've got real debt payments, you know, because they've got a lot of stainless. Um, they've got a large sales force and they've got a large employee force. So, but they don't have the large sales, so they can't take as many punches. And those are the guys that we're seeing go out of business. You know, was it tall grass in Kansas. Um, there's been a couple that have, you know, they, they're, they're, you know, and there's a lot that are on the ropes. Um, and, and I, and it, I feel, you know, somewhat conflicted about it because I was part of that later wave um, that pushed a lot of those legacy breweries that I loved, you know, to the brink. Um, and I, but I think, you know, going forward, what you're going to see is that stratification. People are going to maybe invest and push and go up so they can be a little bigger, and some are going to allow themselves to go smaller. Um, I mean, it's just Boulder Boulder Brewing. I mean, how long's Boulder Brewing been around? Seventy nine, eighty. We're just going to be a brew pub now. We are not going to distribute beer. And I used to buy Boulder beer here in Florida, and nobody is going to be able to buy packaged Boulder beer products anymore because they had to make a decision. What do we do? Where can we be profitable so that it's sustainable? And 
they chose to go down. And I think that's what you're going to start seeing in the industry is that people finally are just going to make that decision. You know, let's sell off that those huge stainless tanks and that packaging equipment. And let's, you know, let's be a brewery that sells our beer here because that's profitable and sustainable and there's way less risk. We always hear about breweries that are trying to grow their, you know, growth is such an important thing. Why is it? Why is it that you just can't stop at a certain size? What is the, you know, what is the 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 motion that you have to keep going? Yep. So I've learned that this is something that if you're not in the industry, you don't you don't quite get. And here's why you can't just stop growing if you're a regional brewery that sells to a distributor because you have a partnership with another company. All right. So imagine that you, you you're a company, I'm a company. All right. You just invested millions of dollars in infrastructure so you could buy more trucks and more guys and more salespeople. And you're going to deliver your, my product that I sell you to a bunch of accounts. So you've just invested. I'm going to go to you and say, oh, yeah, I know I'm not investing uh, this year. I am, uh, I'm just going to stay where I'm at. And I'm just going to you know, focus on staying right where I, where I am. And you're going to look me in the eye and you're going to go, oh, cool, no problem, no problem. And then you're going to leave my office and you're going to go to the office of the other brewery and say, hey, what are your growth plans this year? Because uh, I've invested and I need to sell more beer. I can't sell same beer. I need to sell more beer. So your focus is going to switch from the guy that says, oh, I'm just going to stay where I'm at. And you're going to be nice and you're going to maintain what you have with him. But you're going to stop being the focus. So then now if my business starts to go down, you're not fighting for me because there's no growth in me. You're fighting for the guy who's investing to grow. And that is what I think a lot of people don't understand about, about this business. Uh, now, if I'm the distributor of my product, if I can self-distribute, then I have a lot more control. I can choose to stay where I'm at because I can still make what I have a priority. But if I don't control my go-to-market plan, my distribution, I cannot choose to stop growing if I don't want to completely die. So since the sale, we've seen besides the, you know, thousands and thousands of new breweries opening up, we're also seeing some new trends in beer. Obviously you get a beer like High Lie is sort of a very different beer than maybe a lot of IPA, you know, IPA lovers are looking for right now, or at least ones that take up a lot of the oxygen in the room. What's your reaction to, to beers like hazy and juicy beers? Um, you know, because I'm not like a raging hophead, I don't mind a, a hazy IPA. And I think, I think that's where Highlight was fortunate because we did such a bender for the time. Um, ours is not a traditional West Coast IPA. It kind of splits the difference so that we're not, you know, obviously it's not a hazy, but it is a juicier, uh, a little bit le- less forward bitterness, a little bit more sweetness. Um, so we can, you know, it, it, we can kind of play on to both sides. Like, you know, hey, I love hazies, but I can I can do this. Um, or I freaking hate hazies, but I can still do this. Because um, it's a, that's a surprisingly malty beer. I had yeah. one last night and yeah. it just you forget. What yeah. that what's that style tastes like? Yeah, it's a you know it's a juicy IPA. I would say, um, you know, which like I said, it kind of puts itself in the middle of of you know of what IPAs are now. You know, because um, hazies are about reducing bitterness, really. Um, and Highlight is, while it's vastly more bitter than most most hazy IPAs, and not nearly as chewy and juicy, um, it's enough that you can still you know sort of dip your toe in both sides of that um you know i don't i'll try i always want to try something new um but there hasn't been any major at least widespread trends that i've been like crazy about um i still try everything but 
I think that, you know, the things that I get the most excited about, they're just never going to be big trends again. Like if, you know, if Dunkel became like the raging new style, I would be like, (laughs) but that's not going to happen. You know, it's just not, it's not showy enough of a style that, that you're going to see that become a widespread, you know, because you imagine that like in five years, like, oh my God, Schwartz beer is like the hip new craft beer style. (laughs) But yeah, that's not going to (laughs) happen. So then you see things like, you know, some companies becoming beverage companies as opposed to brewing companies and, and obviously the rise of sparkling water. You think that that's a play that craft brewers of, of even a certain, you know, whether they're small, medium or large, need to be paying attention to? Or is it, you know, we got into this business to make beer. Let's focus on beer. So, uh, yes, I think they need to pay attention to it. That said, if, if all you want to do is make beer, do that. But you, but you can't you can't be upset if... You don't do as well as someone who pays more attention to all potential customers. I've always looked at it as, you know, maybe you don't like light American lagers. Um, and I think the craft beer didn't need to make light American lagers because a lot of other people were doing it and they were doing plenty of it and the market was well covered. But if the market is not well covered and what you do for a living is to ferment products and make them taste good and be enjoyable to people. You should know how to do all of that. And you should know how to all do all of that at a really high level. Now, in your personal judgment, it may not uh, be a very compelling product. It, it may not have a whole lot of integrity from your point of view. Uh, but to me, you know, the craft and the skill is in being able to say, oh, you, oh, you know, sir, ma'am, you like that? Try mine. I make a really good one. I may not drink it. I may not personally enjoy it, but, you know, my profession is fermenting products. I feel like you should be able to do that. Um, we haven't done one here, but there is, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, and anytime a market's relatively new, I mean, you know, Seltzer's kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, not really, they've been around, but they exploded out of nowhere. Kind of a lot like IPA, you know, craft beer. Um, I, a hundred percent get why they're they're popular and and honestly if i sit and think about it i'm surprised it took this long most people don't go through the time and effort to get initiated to learn you know i know that i don't like smoke beers because i freaking explored up down sideways every aspect of them i damn near every smoke beer you could have i don't even like them most people aren't going to do that most people like easy <laughs> approachable slightly sweet good flavors that they're familiar with fruity yummy people like that i don't think you know i i don't think it gets you anything to look down your nose at what people like they like it so you know um so i i think if you know if if you think that 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 the style has no integrity and there's nothing you can do to improve it and you're not interested in it that's totally okay i actually get that i kind of respect that but you also can't be surprised or upset if your brewery maybe doesn't do as well as another brewery that does make a product for a wider audience. What advice do you wish that you had received you know, before opening a brewery or what is the best piece of advice you received? Uh, you know, I mean, so received before I opened, I always look at it as like you, the, the, you know, the advice won't hit you until you've made the mistake. It's like, you know, if some if you're a kid and someone tells you the stove is hot, that's great advice, right? What the heck's that mean? You gotta 
you got to feel the burn before you know that. So I look at that. I would say sort of advice that's really good is is um, just in a general way, like observing Ken Grossman, like just the quality side of things. Like you cannot fail there. And, you know, we did at times that has, you know, if you get any volume, any success, you have to invest in making sure that your beer is flawless quality wise. And especially if you're a packaging brewery, because, you know, you can hide behind so much when you control it, you keep it refrigerated all the time. But once you send your baby out into the world and a packaged product, no one gives a shit. They are going to keep it. They're going to keep it out warm. You know, they're going to keep it in the sunlight. They're going to beat the crap out of it. So if you can't make a product that can survive that and still be good, then you just shouldn't do it. Um, at this point, you know, are you still, you know, you're a beer geek. You're from way back. You're wearing a beer shirt right now. It's not even your own brewery shirt. <laughs> Are you still are you still passionate about beer? Yeah, I, 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 I'm still passionate about it, and I still sometimes just stop and ah, you know, when I have a beer. But I've you know, I think I think in your beer geek evolution, you just go through cycles. And right now, I'm like on an old school cycle. You know, I mean, I've been mentioning German lagers because I've been thinking about and drinking German lagers a lot lately, and and. Um, you know, and I'm through that iteration, but I've, you know, I'll probably flip back around and get like into barley wines again and imperial stouts. Um, it, yeah, I still am, and I still, and I still crave and hanker for things, and and it's still a nice treat for me to see like you know a beer that I, especially you know in my early beer drinking days, like if I see you know something on tap that you never see anymore, um, but that was like really important to me and like. You know, it was like a, a, a you know, an oasis in the desert kind of beer, like back in the day. You know, like, like an Abita Turbo Dog. Like, you know, if I saw an Abita Turbo Dog on draft at the hippest new freaking craft bar with all the cool shit, I'll take that Turbo Dog, please. <laughs> but, you know, I'm still then going to have the next one. But, yeah, yeah, I get nostalgic, I think, for, for, for those old guard beers. You looking to stick around in the beer business for a while or you you just want to be... What what are your sort of future plans? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still, you know, I, I, I'm still here at a sort of like a big brother, you know, kind of phase. You know, I, I really are, you know, I'm kind of a, 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 a bitching post and a sounding board for the guys that are really running Cigar City. And that's kind of really what my job is, is to, you know, oh, you're having a bad day. Let's talk about it. Um, you know, uh, well, you know, hey, in the past, you know, you're having this problem well, in the past. This is what I did. And this is how I handled it, you know. That's really what my role is. I, I've also got investments in other breweries, um, quite a few actually, um, and so I get to kind of watch those, but without having to, you know, without having to have the existential crisis of oh shit, if this if this fails, what do I do? Um, and so I, I still get to be very very involved, and plus, you know, being kind of an early, um, you know, early to market, early around here, I just. You know, people will come to me and they're like, oh, I'm going to open a brewery. You know, can I get, you know, can we meet for coffee or have a beer and, you know, maybe give me some advice. Like, you still get to do a lot of that and it's great. I get to see what's going on with the next generation, but I don't have to have skin in the game. <laughs> Is it weird to be 10 years into this or so and and be considered to sort of be a, like a godfather of craft beer in Florida? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. 10 years shouldn't make you that. Yeah, no, yeah but I mean, you know... I, 
it, you know, it's weird because the guys that were godfathers to me, like Michael Bryant at Dunedin, you know, they kind of got, you know, they're not as well known um, because they did it earlier. Um, but those were the guys to me that were like, you know, the old, you know, they were the, they were the, the, the OGs. Um, yeah. You know, 10 years is young, but I guess, you know, it, you know, I'm 47 and to someone who's 25 and opening a brewery, you know, I, I'm sufficiently old enough to be. <laughs> Do you still see that, you know, the one of the great things about craft beer was always that it had a communal aspect community. Do you still think that that's strong or do you think that, you know, with all these breweries opening and so much being local and so many breweries, you know, being kind of in, you know, not having to get out necessarily in the market, is is it at all fractious? Is it, you know, is the community still there? It's not what it was, uh, but compared to any other industry I've ever been involved with, it's still massively, massively, you know, more like the old days. Like it's still much more friendly and, and there's still way more sort of, you know, inter-business interaction than I have ever seen with any other industry. Um, well, it's not, what was the, who used to say the joke, it's 99% asshole free. It's like still 89%. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Beer Edge podcast. My partner John Hall and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. Thanks for your support. Go to arrive.com to set up a free, customized demo with an arrived consultant and see how a point of sale can make all the difference in your guest experience, staff satisfaction, and bottom line. Chances are a switch to arrive will save you time, money, and a whole lot of headaches. Arrive.com. That's A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com. Because there's no I in Arrived.